0: Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for August 2021. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. We are in the dog days of summer. It's uh, the end of August and... We are having 100 degree day temperatures or 38 degrees Celsius, for those of you in other countries. And it's humid and it brings back memories to us of this time of the year when we would bring our children back to university each semester. And at the beginning of each year, and we'd have to get their stuff out of storage and cart it into their rooms in the dorms at Oral Roberts University. And it was always hot, so hot. And it's been like that. And our first grandson, Noah Jones, he began, he moved into his dorm last Saturday. And uh, today, be- He begins his classes at Oral Roberts University. We're proud of him. God provided in an amazing way financially for him to get scholarships. And Tracy, our daughter, has started working at Oral Roberts University as well. That also gave Noah the benefit of her being there. God is well provided for him, for his university, and we are delighted, just as God provided for Tracy and Brad when they were there, that they finished Oral Roberts University with no debt whatsoever. It was a just such a miracle of God, and we bless God for that, so the Jones family is, is well situated Uh, matt's working in his business has plenty of work and has hired an assistant to help him and so things are going well there and the other two children ava and luke have started back to school since i did our last seed to seed bev and i have been up to colorado our two grandsons from colorado came and spent time with us in the summer and we drove them back and could see uh, Jessica and Brad. And Jessica, for those of you who have been praying for her, it's been a slow but uh, certain recovery. And uh, not only is she getting on the mend, but she's also uh, working at the school in Colorado Springs, where the, our three grandchildren will be going to school there they have they've bought a house in colorado springs and they moved in last saturday they are well situated brad continues his work so the family's all doing well Gra- bev and i are well we're exceedingly well we're praising the lord even during this time uh, we have been taking an ivermectin protocol and we have stayed well in the midst of this so-called pandemic and uh, it's been a blessing from the Lord. Bev listened to my last month's message and she uh, reminded me that I didn't finish telling the story of Dr Waylon Moore. Uh, the message for those of you who didn't hear it was on First Peter 5 verses 6 to 9 Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon him. Resist the devil. And I brought out that you can't resist the devil if you haven't humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God and submitted to his authority. And if you are worrying, if you're anxious, you have not cast your care upon him. And uh, I told the story of Waylon Moore and a woman that in a church that he, he preached in, who was in a catatonic state, and the Lord showed him through those verses that she had not cast her care upon the Lord through her daughter's death. And as a result of that, had held unforgiveness toward God and judgments toward God for taking her daughter. And that had given the enemy an open door to oppress her. And she was in that catatonic state. And when he went back to that church and ministered to her those verses and brought her to the place of forgiving God and releasing the judgments she made against God for the death of her daughter uh, and humbled herself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, they were able to resist the devil, rebuke that spirit, and she was totally set free and healed and restored normal as can be and so i forgot to complete the story and bev uh, reminded me and suggested that in the introduction this month i should complete the story so also since we sent out last month seed to seed we went back to nashville to um the shop fix academy conference and spoke at that and did a lot of ministry counseling uh, praying over people and so on, and which is just amazing because it's not a Christian organization per se. It's for shop owners of car repair shops. Aaron Stokes started the organization. It has grown. Oh, my word, it has exploded. Uh, in the last couple of days, there were over 800 people there. And um, it was just an amazing time and we just are thrilled that God has given us that open door and we're so grateful to Aaron for the opportunity and he has texted me and he said, you know, together we are changing lives and, and what a privilege that is. It's a wonderful outlet for us and we bless God for that. So. This uh, message this month is beginning a series of messages. I have been so blessed and impacted over the last few months as I have meditated on the subject that is going to cover these next at least three messages, Well, three that I know of, could be more, but I'm I'm titling the series, The Generosity of Grace. And it all was birthed out of my Bible reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and the last verse. Be kind to one another, the tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And the word for forgiveness there is charizomai, or being gracious to one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has been gracious to you. And um, I, I just was meditating on how God has so generously forgiven us for Christ's sake. He goes on to say, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. There, there is such a generosity in the whole story of redemption. And so Ephesians 4.32 is in in exhorting us to give the same grace to others that God has given to us. And so I started meditating on the generosity of grace. And so I I want to read a a few verses. We're going to go to a a couple of different passages in this message. And I want to start in John 1. And I'm, I'm just going to quote those verses to you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is verses 14 to 17. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Now, there was no grace in the law per se. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, cursed is everyone who does not abide by every word that is written in this book was the curse of the law now yes god provided through the sacrificial system to be to be, have mercy on on people's sins and to be gracious to people but in the law itself There was no grace and Jesus comes and he's full of grace and he's full of truth. And of that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That's, that's an abundance of grace. It's not just that we've received grace. We've received grace upon grace. It's magnified grace. It's abundant grace. Now, as I've been doing all the study, I started to study the word generosity in the scriptures. The word for generosity is a fascinating word. It's the word haplotes. And the beginning with the A is a negative, and it means literally no folds. There are no folds in the goodness, in the grace of God. What do we I mean by that? Well, the picture that I get is like of a table, tablecloth and it's folded over at one corner. And it's not all open and plain. And, you know, that, that fold could be hiding something that is dangerous or something that is negative. Uh, the picture that I originally got when I preached this word years ago was of a picnic blanket with the corner folded over, and you never know what little critter could be lurking under that fold. Well, There's no folds. And the word is also used in 2 Corinthians 11 of simplicity. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I I fear lest as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety or seduced Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of. Same word, no folds, the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, some manuscripts add the word purity, but the best manuscripts just have the simplicity that is in Christ. So I want you to get that picture. When you come to relationship with Jesus Christ, there are no folds in his dealings with you, there's no hidden agenda, there's no hidden expectation, there's no hook in His love, in His grace, and in His goodness, and that is a reflection of the Father. There are no folds in the Father's generosity. We're going to look at that word in future studies in other, other contexts in the Bible, but uh, that's what I want to communicate to you, that God's love and particularly God's grace has no folds, no folds in it. That's why I just dislike intensely the, the chorus of the hymn that uh, uh, people sing lustily. Jesus paid it all. And then the next line says, all to him I owe. Listen, if he paid it all, I owe him Nothing. If, if I owe him something, then he paid it with a hook in it. He paid it with a fold in the corner, with a hidden agenda, with a hidden expectation of me. No, we owe him nothing. And that kind of thinking, it gives birth to, to performance, gives birth to legalism in the church, because we feel obligated to do stuff to please him, in the light of what he has done for us. And there is no fold in his love. There is a simplicity in Christ. Think of Satan's temptation of Eve. It was to cast doubt on the goodness of God. It was to cast doubt on his best intentions for Adam and Eve, Has God really said. And then he spins the lie, God knows that the day that you eat thereof, you'll become like God. I mean, he's basically saying, Eve, God's holding out on you. There's a fold in God's goodness. There's a fold in God's promise to you. He's got a hidden agenda, He's hiding something from you. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. And so Paul says, I fear lest as the serpent beguiled Eve, seduced Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity as in Christ. Let me tell you, That the admixture of covenants, the the way the old covenant has influenced the new covenant and has has affected the mindset of so many believers has created folds in our relationship to God. Uh, Yes, he's gracious, but. Yes, he has forgiven us, but. Yes, he has justified us, but. Yes, his blood was shed for us, but, and there are buts in our thinking that there is something more that we have to do. And particularly do I detest the whole concept of the tithe, because it creates the idea that there are certain blessings that God withholds from us until we tithe. And that is a lie. It is a fold in the goodness, in the grace of God. There is no fold to the grace of God. There is a purity and a simplicity and a generosity to the grace of God. He is generous to us, not because we're tithers or because we're givers or because we do anything, but because of the precious blood of Jesus that made atonement for us. And now we have boldness to enter into relationship with the Father. Father, we have boldness to enter into the holiest of all and to fellowship with the Father without any barrier between us. Now, it's really important for us to understand one of the most fundamental truths of the Scriptures. If we don't understand this, we will not rightly divide the word of truth. Unfortunately... Our Bibles begin, the New Testament begins with Matthew chapter 1, and so many Christians sort of assume that the New Testament begins with the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, but that is not the truth. The New Testament cannot begin at that point, and I'll tell you why. Hebrews 10, or Hebrews 9, excuse me, makes it ex- exceedingly clear that In order for the New Testament to come into effect, listen to this. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has, listen to this, it has no power at all while the testator lives. As long as Jesus was alive on this earth, there was no power, there was no efficacy to the new covenant because it had not been initiated. It only was initiated by his death on the cross. So, so many people look at Jesus' teaching in the New Testament as being part of of the new covenant it cannot be a part of the new covenant because there was the new covenant wasn't in existence jesus introduced it the night before his death when he took the cup Hebrews 9, when it says after about the death of the testate, he says, "'Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, "'This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you.'" You can see the reflection there in Jesus in the the last supper, taking the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. But it didn't come into effect until he had shed his blood the next day for the remission of our sins. And that brings in the new covenant and I'm telling you, it's so important that you get that clear in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, because otherwise you will be seduced from the simplicity that is in Christ, because it's easy to bring some of Jesus' teaching, you know, in, into the New Covenant and teach the, you know, the narrow way, and, it, and, and, it, and it's difficult, and the cost of discipleship, and all that Jesus taught under the Old Covenant and imported into the New Covenant, and it leads to a mentality of performance. So, I want us to move against that backdrop into my main passage for consideration for this message, and it is Paul's testimony in Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he gives this testimony. And I thank Christ Jesus, this is verse 12, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And here's the key verse and the grace of our lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in christ jesus ha! this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief now That is an amazing section, amazing passage, because when Paul gives his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, he can say that concerning the righteousness of the law, he was utterly blameless. He lived a blameless life when it came to observance of the law. But he says, what those things were gained to me, I've now come to count as absolute rubbish, because under that law, He was a persecutor of Christians. Under that law, because of the Jewish conviction that God is one God, the Jewish nation was a monotheistic theocracy. They only had one God. Jesus comes in and claims to be the Son of God, and that is blasphemy to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, and to Paul, who was a Pharisee, that Jesus had the audacity to to blaspheme and call himself the Son of God. And so Paul felt totally justified under the law, and he was justified. Justified under the law to hound these people who were trying to seduce Israel into the belief in another God and the law required that such people be stoned to death and so Paul was simply fulfilling the requirements of the law in going to Damascus and to hound those Christians hound them into prison and hound them into persecution as a fully justified until he had an encounter with God and with his grace. (laughs) And he says this, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This religious man who is blameless under the law gets arrested by this grace that he calls exceedingly abundant grace. Now, the word that he uses here is a word that Paul coins. It's found nowhere else. He adds the prefix "hooper," which means over and above. He adds it to the, the to the word "plentiful" or beyond counting. Uh, just an amazing number and so he's he's intensifying the word that the grace of god is beyond any computation it's beyond any human comprehension you can't imagine how great the grace of god is and just think of paul paul's encounter with the grace of god he's heading in one direction and in a moment of God time, God encounters him on the road to Damascus, strikes him down, strikes him blind, and speaks to him. And he has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, whom he is persecuting. He goes into Damascus, and there Ananias prays for him. He receives his sight. He's baptized. Paul makes a 180-degree turn. What arrested him? It was the exceedingly abundant grace of God oh my brother and sister the you know for many of us have come up through a religious background. And so, you know, you never did anything terribly bad. You never were a wicked sinner out in the world doing all kinds of horrendous things. And so when grace came to you, it, it didn't seem to be such a radical and dramatic thing as it was to the Apostle Paul. I mean, he calls himself the chief of sinners. But I want you to know this, the grace that God gave you is as great as the grace that he gave to the Apostle Paul. You have received exceedingly abundant grace. Now, here lies the problem. We don't appreciate just how radical and dramatic has been the salvation that we have received that calls us out of that life of law that Paul was in, into the life of grace. And so many of us have mixed where we came from with where we've come to. And so we mix performance with receiving the grace of God. We, we mix obedience to rules with receiving the, the goodness of God. And we are confused. And as a result, we are living in a place of limbo. Now, this verse tells you exactly what the effect of receiving that kind of grace is. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now, he uses two genitives. Faith and love are both in the genitive case. And the use of the prefix meta is a great one. when You know, it's not just a simple with. Meta describes this. It looks forward to the after effect or the change or the result. The genitives after the verb describe the thing with which one is furnished, or equipped, and so grace, this abundant, exceeding abundant grace furnishes you and equips you with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. When you receive the exceedingly abundant grace of God, the result is that you receive the faith of Christ, and you receive the love of Christ. So, here is the first application of this word. If you are not walking in faith, and if you're not walking in love, if you're not enjoying a life of undiluted, uncompromised faith and confidence in your Father's love, in your Father's goodness, in your Father's grace, then the reality is this, that you probably haven't received this superabundant grace of His. If, likewise, if you aren't living loved, if you aren't enjoying a place of knowing and being secure in the Father's love, not just mentally in your head but experientially in every part of your being that touches you emotionally mentally spiritually every area of your being you you are aware that you are loved and nothing can budge you from that conviction not even when catastrophes arise in your life possibly it doesn't phase you one little bit because you're so secure in the love that you have received if you're receiving the the superabundant grace that paul is talking about with it it leads to that you have faith and love which are in Christ not your own faith and not your own love it's the The faith of Christ and the love of Christ that you receive. Do you you get the picture? It comes with it. It's the package deal. When you receive grace, with it you receive the end result of receiving the abundance of grace. This abundant grace is that You have and walk in and enjoy the faith that is in Christ, the love that is in Christ. You have his faith and his love in you. What a phenomenal verse. Thank you, Paul, for giving us your testimony. Isn't this amazingly good? Paul writes to Titus a couple of pages later, if you want to look at salvation under the new covenant in in a few verses, summing up every part of the gospel of, of grace, then Titus 3 verses 4 to 7 give you the full synopsis, the full picture of the gospel of the new covenant. Listen to this. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, now I gave you that backdrop of when, when did the kindness and the love of God our Savior appear to us certainly when jesus came to this earth there was the heralding that this was the beginning of this great redemptive work when john announced jesus as the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he was pointing to the one who would ultimately die on the cross but listen the kindness and the love of god our savior toward man appears Only when Jesus dies on the cross, because it is only then that the testament comes into effect. It has no power until the death of the testator. And then, I mean, I I, I read Acts 2 in my quiet time this morning. The dramatic transformation in Peter. The dramatic transformation in all of the disciples who a few days earlier, they had said to Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking in terms of a nationalistic salvation, a nationalistic deliverance. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is dramatically and radically transformed. Why? Because the grace, the kindness, and love of God, our Savior, appeared to them, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. They received regeneration. They were born again. That's what marked this tremendous transformation in Peter and all the community of those who were saved, because it was the, the, the result of the outpouring of the Spirit that Peter speaks about, therefore, that Jesus being ascended to the right hand of the Father and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. And so the same word is in verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly or lavishly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So not only has he lavished his grace upon us and lavished the faith and love that are in Christ, but He has lavished us with His Holy Spirit. He poured out upon us, and the Spirit brings about the new birth and the renewing of the, in, in the Holy Spirit." And then it says that having been justified by his grace, (laughs) we have been declared righteous by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, all the concepts that he's bringing in. Yeah, you see, as long as you were under the law, righteousness was a reward for your obedience. But now we become heirs. We are no longer wage earners. We're no longer waiting for obedience. A, a wage. Uh, we are now heirs heirs of the hope of eternal life because we have been justified. He has declared us to be righteous. He sees no blemish in us, no fault in us. Can you see why Paul said the righteousness that he had, although he was blameless under the law, in comparison to the righteousness that he has in Christ Jesus, he counted that as a hill of you know what. He uses a colloquial word for dung. I'll leave it there. But in comparison to the righteousness that we receive, because we have been declared righteous by God and we receive the gift of righteousness, the righteousness that you can produce on your own through the works are useless. And listen... You're no longer a wage earner. You're not waiting for God to bless you. He's not going to bless you because you're a tither. He's not going to bless you because you have your quiet time every day. He's going to bless you because you are an heir. You have received the inheritance. Why? Because the testator died. And now, because the testator has died, this inheritance now belongs to every single one of us who come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have to work for and deserve and earn a single thing. I have received it by inheritance. Man, this was the good news that I received in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, back in 1981 in Gueru in Zimbabwe when Romans 5:17 came alive to me when that lay preacher preached at our businessmen's fellowship how much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ ha <sighs> and what a relief it brought to me as You know, and it didn't happen immediately. I began to study that verse, study the truth. The first thing that I came into realization of was that I did not know how to receive. I had been a performer. I had been an achiever all of my Christian life. I didn't know how to receive, and now it's so easy to receive. I'm sitting in our Queen Anne chair up in our games room, and honestly, I can just open up my hands and sit here in the presence of God and just receive His presence and I become saturated and swamped with His presence. Why? <laughs> because it's my inheritance, because it's my birthright. I've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. But it took me years to learn how to be a simple receiver. Bev is such a good receiver, but man, I had to process everything. I had to rationalize everything. I, I you know, I had to, uh, you know, men process everything in order to receive it and God had to fix my receiver and that became my prayer Lord fix my receiver because I have been programmed by my culture to be a performer to be an analyzer and I don't know how to receive as a little child and Jesus said unless you receive as a little child you can't enter into the things of the kingdom of heaven you've got to become childlike and receive as a little child without question Listen, it's simple, but it's not easy. If anyone tells you it's easy, (laughs) they haven't been as steeped in religion as I was. It's not easy as Paul says in Romans 10, describing the Jews, and they being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, you've got to bring yourself under. That word submit is to bring yourself under under the righteousness of God, under the authority of God's truth, under the authority of what God says is the way to righteousness. For he goes on to say, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. If you want righteousness, you can't attain it through obedience to the law anymore. You can't attain it through doing things to much please God and make him happy you can't get righteous that way it's it's un of a- a- Obtainable Through what I do, it is only obtainable. He says, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. And that's the stumbling stone that he talks about at the end of chapter 9. They stumbled over that stone. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. But whoever believes in him will not be offended or disappointed. You see, it takes believing in that rock that has been laid believing in and if you don't believe you're going to stumble it is it's offensive it's offensive to the religious mind to think that all i have to do is receive as a free gift now in case you think well but the problem is uh, you know man i i've i've i'm i don't come from a religious background man i i did some terrible things Well, let me point you to Romans 5.20 because it's another superlative word of Paul. Where sin abounded, grace did much more. Abound. Paul uses the same prefix, hooper, and adds it to the word abound or overflowing is the word. It's poured out, the, the word, same word that for the Holy Spirit poured out upon us. It's an abundant, overflowing, and you know, he adds hooper to, to make us understand. It's over and above, it's beyond. If sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Boy, that's what we've got to hear in these days. Because we're living in a world that is absolutely 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 crazy and the evil of mankind is being demonstrated and being shown and we're sort of feeling like oh my god is there any hope yes for where sin abounds grace does much more abound and get ready we're about to see a display of the power of god's grace in the world we're about to see god doing amazing things in the world changing the culture changing the temperature of the entire system I I believe that with all of my heart. If I didn't believe that, I would be... In hopelessness looking at the situation but I don't look at the situation I look at what God has said in his word and what God has spoken to me in my heart and through dreams and and visions and so on I know that I've heard from heaven that God is about to display his glory and all of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God doesn't say the earth will be filled with the glory of God because it's already full of his glory the seraphim said in Isaiah 6 the whole earth is full of his glory but the earth does not have the knowledge of the glory of God and that is about to be seen it is about to be manifest where sin abounds grace did much more abound much more abound much more abound what an incredible thing so those of you who feel like well I've done so many bad things I want to tell you the abundance of grace is not just for the religious and the self-righteous, like the Apostle Paul, but it is also for the wicked, for the sinner. And if Paul saw himself as a self-righteous Pharisee, as the worst of sinners, as the chief of sinners, then I'm telling you, you've not done anything that God's grace cannot stretch way, way beyond his, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Oh, I want you to get this. I want you to get the superabundant, generous grace of God towards you. God is not holding out on you. God is not withholding. God is not a tight-fisted God. He's a generous God. I, I love these verses in Psalms, starting with Psalm 104. Uh, God has so ministered to to me. Uh, I've shared this before as far as Bev's testimony is concerned in getting free from the spirit of poverty. The revelation of these verses is what God used to transform her. Verse 27 of Psalm 104 says, These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them they gather in. You open your hand. They are filled with good. You open your hand; they are filled with good. They all wait for you. I studied the word "wait" because somebody shared that word with me. Uh, we were at party, in fact, uh, just a, a celebration of Noah, our grandson, in his acceptance to Oral Roberts University, and one of uh, Matt and Tracy's friends said to me, he said, you know, just in the course of conversation, said this, waiting is an action verb. And boy, that impacted me. And I came home and I studied the word, the, the, to wait, you know, because I had read it in my quiet time as well, in Psalms, about waiting for the Lord. And uh, it so impacted me as I looked at that word, waiting. And it is, it's a verb. It's a verb. It's it's to look expectantly. To look expectantly. God's been talking to me so much lately about expectancy and expectations of him. That he wants his people to be expecting great things. Expecting. These all look to you. Listen. They all look to you. They wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in you. Open your hand and they are filled with good. The same thought is in Psalm 145. I want to just read these verses. The Lord upholds all who fall, this is verse 14, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. See, that's waiting on the Lord. It's your eyes expecting—it's an action. You're expectant. You're not just passively sitting with your eyes closed. Where you're expecting. Your eyes—the eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of the righteous. Is that what your Bible says? Nope. He says you satisfy the desire of every living thing remember jesus said be like your heavenly father he causes his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust the tragedy is that religion has created in us a mental a pharisaical mentality of judgmentalism of others who are not where we are who are not doing what we are doing and there's no room for that in the generosity of grace and that's what i'm going to get into particularly next month's message that we are to walk in in the same grace that God has shown us in Christ. We are to give to others. There's no place for us to have a critical and judgmental spirit and put people into categories. Listen, that's what the the political system of our day, and I'm going to call it what I believe it is, the deep state are wanting to do. They're wanting to divide people to categorize us and to cause division for us to look with suspicion on others who are not like us, dividing male against female, dividing races against each other, dividing uh, Democrats and, and Republicans, dividing... All kinds of classes of of people against each other. That's Satan's work. That is, and and you can't buy into that, because God is generous and kind to every living thing. He opens His hand. Now listen. When I was a child being raised, my concept of God was this: I saw God's hand as being closed tight-fisted. and I had to pry open his fingers with reading my Bible, praying, going to church, tithing, and witnessing to others. Those were the sort of the five things that were essential, to open up the hand of God the problem was that I felt you know if I did two of them well then you know the others were closed and when I got the others open then the first hands were closed and so on I never felt that God was open handed toward me until I received the revelation of his grace and now I see continually the open handedness of God he is so generous and he is so kind because of his grace and the grace is based upon the simple reality that the testator of this new covenant has died and as a result we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ and we receive all the inheritance that would go to Christ now belongs to us because we are in Christ through faith in his redemptive work through faith in his shed blood and we receive the abundance of grace now listen if in Psalm 145 says he opens his hand and he, and he satisfies the desire of every living thing, how much more do you not think that he satisf- has already satisfied the desire of of every one of His children. It is already provided for. You don't have to ask for another thing. It is all provided in your inheritance. It is simply this. It is finding out what He has promised us in His Word is part of our inheritance, then coming to Him and declaring in His presence that we receive what He has given us. We receive the abundance of grace. Today, receive it. Receive the abundance. Of grace, these superabundant grace. And with that grace, you receive the faith and the love that is in Christ Jesus. You're not walking around trying to, to uh, generate your own faith. You're not walking around trying to believe, oh, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, I've got to trust, I've got to trust, I've got to trust. If you have a deficit of faith, the problem is not with you, uh, with faith. The problem is that you're not receiving the superabundant grace of God. You're not resting in the finished work of Jesus. You've got a mixture of performance, and there's still that uncomfortableness uh, of of condemnation. There's still that feeling that you're lacking something. You're looking for something to add. Uh, one of my my spiritual sons spoke to me this past week with the sense of utter frustration because he's seeing those who he's teaching about grace, then going back into their home churches and they're getting doctrines taught about keeping the feasts and other stuff and so on. And it is causing them to waver. And it, it, it just bothers me so badly that we are not so established in grace that we can so easily be seduced like Satan seducing Eve into believing there's something that I have to do. In addition, there's a fold on the cloth. There's a fold. There's something. There's a fine print to the contract. There's a fold. Listen, his love, his grace is without folds. (laughs) ever since uh, you know i shared this revelation with bev a few weeks ago every day she says to me i love you with no folds i love you with no folds (laughs) that should make you happy it makes me happy our love is with no folds there's no hidden agenda there's no hidden expectation there's no hook in our love for each other. It is unconditional love, receiving each other just as we are. And that's what God has done with us. He's received us as we are. And He's showered His love. Listen, these words, these superlative words, He's poured out His Holy Spirit upon us lavishly, abundantly, Paul says to Titus. Yeah, in first Timothy one fourteen he says the the grace of God superabounded toward me. In Romans Uh, 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 Romans 5 and verse 20, he says, Where sin abounded, grace did super abound, much more abound. It just much more, much more abound. Oh, brother, sister, I pray that today you'll just sit in God's presence and say, God, I'm sorry that I've not been receiving the abundance of your grace. I've been seduced into trying to produce a righteousness of my own. I have just succumbed to the seduction of the enemy away from the simplicity. I've seen folds in your grace to me. I've thought there were conditions. I needed to do this. I needed to do the other thing. I needed to tithe in order to be blessed. I needed to you know, do all these things in order to receive your blessing. I repent of everything that I've tried to do In order to gain favor with you, and I come back to receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And you have said, I will reign in life. I will reign in life. My brother and sister, that was the question that that little lay preacher in Gweru kept saying, Are you reigning? Are you reigning? And he kept pointing. And he, wasn't, he never pointed at me, but I always felt like he was pointing at me. Are you reigning? And I. that was the word that started me. I'm not reigning, so therefore I'm not receiving the gift of righteousness, and I'm not receiving the abundance of grace. I'm not reigning. I'm defeated. My journals of those days were full of the defeatedness uh, as I confessed to God again and again how defeated I was. Oh my word, I was so self-aware, so self-conscious, so sin-conscious because I didn't have a revelation of the finished work of Jesus. I didn't have a revelation of the superabundant grace of God, and boy, I needed what Paul got on the road to Damascus. And unfortunately for me, it didn't come as dramatically and as suddenly as paul's revelation and yet i know that it took paul a while because it took him 15 years to get back to jerusalem and check his gospel with the leadership in jerusalem for 13 years after he was in tarsus in his hometown just making tents preaching to nobody, doing no miracles, nothing, just receiving a download of the gospel of God's grace. That was such an important time because we needed the Apostle Paul to be able to spell out clearly. Now, he even to the end of his life, he compromised the gospel. But in, in the early days, he was absolutely pure. Galatians chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, he is so pure in his understanding of the gospel. And, and so we take what Paul taught there because he had received it by the Spirit he said in Galatians chapter 2 and they could add nothing to him because God had given him a full download of the gospel of grace yes he had a sudden turnaround 180 degrees on the road to Damascus but then it took him those years before he was ready to be released and there was a knock on the door and there was Barnabas 15 years later saying, come on, Paul, we need you in Antioch. And so Paul goes to Antioch, and Acts 14 says, there were apostles and prophets in Antioch, and one of them is Saul, who became Paul. And so that's the beginning of Saul's ministry. What a process. And so many of you have gone through a process like that of of receiving this message of grace and letting it saturate and soak into every area of your life. It's taken time. It took me time. But boy, am I so glad for that beginning point. Back in 1981, I will forever be grateful to God for that insight into Romans 5:17, receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And so today, I pray that you will receive that. I pray that you will see the hands of God just open. He's open-handed. He's not tight-fisted. He's not withholding from you. He is open-handed. He is generous and kind. The generosity of His grace, it's it's an overwhelming grace and overwhelming goodness. Father, I thank you today for your grace. I thank you for your superabundant grace that abounded to the Apostle Paul and that abounds toward us. And with it, it leads to us having the faith and the love that are in Christ. Thank you that with grace we receive faith and we receive love. We don't have to try and generate faith. We don't have to try and generate love. It is the faith and love of Christ that we receive with grace. And so, Lord, for those who are feeling a deficit today, who feel like they're lacking in terms of faith and they're feeling unloved, Lord, I pray that you'll bring them back to this fundamental issue of receiving the superabundant grace of God because the result of that is... I do receive the faith and the love of Christ. It's mine because I've received his grace. And so, Lord, I pray that the enemy will not be able to seduce your people anymore with putting folds in your grace to us, putting folds in your love. Help us to see that there is a simplicity in Christ. There's no folds in Christ. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hooks in his love. There's no uh, conditions on His grace and goodness to us. There's no folds. And I rebuke Satan where he has tried to deceive us, where he has tried to seduce us into works of the law, into trying to perform in order to be pleasing to God. Right now, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that spirit of the law, that spirit of legalism, that spirit of condemnation, of guilt, of shame. Right now, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that spirit off of God's people. You have no part in us. We receive the outpoured Holy Spirit. That same. Spirit that you poured out abundantly upon uh, the early church and that Paul describes in in his letter to Titus, the outpoured Spirit of God that comes and regenerates us and that renews us. Thank you for the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, you make all things continually new. Thank you that this day is a new day and we receive new mercies and we receive new goodness and we receive new glories and we have revelation of new grace and new fresh bountifulness from the hand of God. An open-handed God who delights to bless us, his people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.